Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Rye. And I'm your other host, Chris. And Rye, welcome to a new world of gods and monsters! Because sometimes it does take a monster to fight! A monster. I can't. Sorry. I can't. Uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe with the the really gritty <sighs> voiceover at the beginning. I can't. Oh, that's what. Is, so that's what I was doing before the episode because there were parts of that monologue that he gives at the beginning that sort of thread throughout this movie. So I made sure I wrote all of it down. Why? <laughs> Just why? That's the general question. Hi, Dreadfuls. If you don't know... Why did we watch this If you movie? don't know what we're talking about right now... Uh, last, last week, we uh, indulged in my D&D in session, and we reviewed Van Helsing and Dracula Untold, which was supposed to be the launching point of the Dark Universe. It was left open, and there was a little bit of... Um, there was a bit of uh, open-ended Easter egg. There was a bit of there was a bit of a gap yeah. here in between. Yeah, Charlie Dance, Tywin Lannister. He was meant to be like this Nick Fury, Thanos type of person who would show up in other Universal remake horror movies, and you know, the director. Well, he didn't show up in well, this one. Well, I, I mean, originally, I mean, like Dracula Untold came out in 2014. Um. But the director's vision was he would leave it open for an expanding universe. Um, and when Dracula Untold was being made, it was it was on the table to be the first in the dark universe. Now that didn't happen because of its box. box that didn't happen because of the box office performance and lukewarm to very bad reviews and so universal decided to place all of its eggs on the shoulders of tom cruise and they went into this movie so hard because dark universe the logo was part it's of the opening at the beginning of this movie I yeah can't. so they were, they were so gung-ho so that is what we're reviewing today we are we are reviewing Technically, the the canonical first installment of the Dark Universe movies, although I would I would count that as a second, but semantics. We are reviewing the 2017 The Mummy film, starring Tom Cruise. Uh, what of a what a what the why the longest 90 minutes of my life. This is only this is a short film. This is actually like 93 minutes long and I can't tell. It felt yes. It didn't feel short. It didn't feel short at all. It dragged so much. Um Tom Cruise p- please leave Scientology so you can stop making movies cuz this was unnecessary. <laughs> I I I I'm confused why Tom Cruise took this film. I, I, I Chris, Chris, tell tell everybody what we did at two thirty in the afternoon today. Prior to uh, not just two thirty. Like it was like the entire we morning. Recast we were live. <laughs> we were yeah. We were live texting each other because I, I watched it the night before. Uh, so I was I was texting Rye. Um, I actually didn't finish the movie last night. Um, I left like the last half hour because I was like super sleep deprived. Sleep deprived. And you needed a break movie, from this movie. Yeah, that too. This this movie's really hard to watch, and I stopped and I watched I watched like the rest of it earlier. I stopped and went to a meeting and came back <laughs> to finish this movie because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, Chris. This movie's too much. I mean, it, right at the very beginning, you know, we the I was spoofing. Russell Crowe's gritty, expositional voiceover 
I mean, I mean, night and day. Uh, like the Mummy, nineteen ninety nine. You had, um, oh, what's his name? I always forget his name. I feel terrible. The the lead Magi, the Holy Warrior. He's so uh, hot. He's so cool. Okay, first of all, the nineteen ninety nine. Let's just bl- blanket statement for all of those out there. <laughs> The 1999 Mummy movie was a queer awakening for so many bi, bi yeah. people, bi and pan people. I, I love that. Like I, that movie. I love that meme ch- where it, it, it like it, it calls that out. It's like everyone, everyone in this, everyone in this film is beautiful and attractive, and amazing, and like it's awesome. Right. It's like my sexual orientation is the entire cast of the Mummy. Thank you. True facts. Oh, here you go. Uh, yes. Um. I'm th- I'm thinking of uh Oded Fair. Oded? Oded fi- Fair? Fear? Uh, uh as uh Ardith Bay, the chief of the Magi. And so 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 replicating that like so Ardith Bay or, or Oded provides all the context, all the primer. And he also plays like a pivotal role in the original mummy and and in and in the sequel. He's I mean Of course. Of course, he's awesome. He's, he's a badass. Came from the yeah. movie too, where he had to fight that other guy, and they both were like, mm, mm. "Oh, the 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 strong guy, the and so good, like like the second second in command, so good." But then we're not talking about the nineteen nine film, right? As Why much not? as we want to. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, we're not talking about we're not talking about the ninety nine version. We're gonna spend we're gonna spend. Like uh, uh, no, the embargo. I love it. I love the nine minute version, but 2017. We have so much to unpack. Oh no, you're really trying to kill me. You're really trying to kill me. Uh, we do, we do. Even though we did unpack most of it today, I from I think minute from like the first minute and a half, I was texting you like, "This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. What is this?" I really think that we should start screenshotting our conversations and putting them up on social media. <laughs> yeah, we should. So we should. So for a problem for me, so before I was, or before Rye had watched the movie, um, I was talking to my friend and my coworker, Amber, who's a very, very huge horror fan, and like The Mummy, hands down, one of our favorite films of all time. So I was telling her, I was like, hey, uh, guess what? <laughs> I'm going to be spending my evening watching the 2017 version of The Mummy. And she's like, Chris, no, save yourself. Don't do it. And uh, she couldn't get, she only watched 12 minutes of the film and she couldn't. I also go probably past that. would have only watched um, 12 minutes if we didn't have to finish it. I, 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 Rye, swear to God, like the, you know, those first 12 minutes felt like an hour. I, I felt my soul being drained away from how much cringe and how much hate. And this is coming from me. I, in the office where I work at, no one trusts my opinion about movies because I love everything. And like, so like, everyone takes it at a severe grain of salt. And like, Coming from me saying that this film is legitimately, genuinely bad, oh, and it's just, um, I mean, because I said the same thing about Dracula Untold, right? It's like, oh, it's like, it's like, I, I enjoyed it. I thought, I thought it was a pretty decent film. Chris not has the a best really film, low bar. If he doesn't but, like something, it's yeah, not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then like it, it's off the bat. It starts off with Russell Crowe's like just. This movie is trying too hard on all angles. Like so, Russell Crowe just giving like the most grim, dark, most somber, most edgy backstory ever. Even the backstories like like super edgy. Like so, like um, you know, unlike unlike the the motivation of the main mummy Imhotep in the the last film where. You know, very misguided, but driven by a warped sense of love. I mean, it's you could argue whether or not they they really loved each other, or it was just like, you know, lust. But whatever, love. I mean, I think she liked the idea of 
eternal life so at some point she was like sure this is a good idea i think at one point she loved him and then she was like nope when i come back i'm 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 getting all the d i'm done because she leaves his ass to rot well i mean she she like leaves because like she was because because imatep wanted what rick and uh evie had like were like true love like when they were sacrificing each other and you know um anox cinnamon just bounced so for this character or for this version you had the new lead mummy and it was a it was i remember i was excited because it was a female and i knew that there was a possibility that they were going to completely over sexualize her but they did something to her that they also did in the aladdin film which is they whitewashed her she's white by the end of this movie Really? Is Sophia... Well, Sophia... Sophia Patella is Algerian. I don't know if that... that... Yeah, but she's not, like, that white. I guess. But they yeah. literally cover her in white paint by the oh, end yeah. of the like, well, She is white. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what you're saying, but she's also really dead. And she always... Uh, yeah, but you don't... I see what you're saying. I totally see what what you're saying. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. They completely whitewashed all of this film. Like, they started out... Chris, how... I was so angry at the beginning of this movie because it started out in England, and I said, I'm sorry, what the fuck? What does this have to do with ancient Egypt? It's bad enough that they butchered... And I'll get to that later. It's bad enough that they butchered the Egyptian gods and goddesses. Like, it could have been so easy to just pick the right one. I don't know why they had to do what they did. Yeah, but they, they rewrote all of Egyptian culture and history. <laughs> right, they compl- right, they made it white. It's what we do. Or they're just like, we don't care. We're just going to make our own shit up, which is exactly what they did. It takes two seconds to look something up online, and it could have been just as effective. I thought, I thought the whole scene with the Anubis statues facing inward in, instead of outward, that, okay, I get it, that's fine, totally cool, um, I can sort of live with that, and I think I even said to you at several points in, in the conversations we were having this morning, the things that they did made sense for the world that they built, but the world that they built didn't make sense. The world sucked. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. But um, yeah. So I mean, but going back to your point, I I thought it was really cool that Amanet is going to be like a female gender bend version of Emotep. Uh, and I think that's a it's a really cool new spin. I think they got that right. And she wasn't she wasn't a priest. She was a princess, which was also a little different. Which I was like, all right, I can get, I can get behind that. I was like, all right, solid. I can get behind this. Cool. Yeah, and I think the the what the uh, when I was reading up on the the production history of the movie, one of the main reasons why uh, other it was actually there's two main reasons. Uh, the director Al Kurtzman, uh, either he worked with Sophia or had saw Sophia in a film or had had like some type of interaction where um uh, he really enjoyed her performance. Oh, I can't remember the film now, but there was a particular film she was in where she played a mute person. And so that was it was a lot of like visual acting. And I know he cited that like the way she would look at people, like the like how her physicality, especially with how she would in her eyes like he thought that's awesome that's perfect i want to make a character for her and so that's one of the one of the main reasons why um he had sophia in mind the other thing this is more tied to the character design of amanet the mummy uh was but this this seems like forever ago i cannot believe it um but around the same time x-men apocalypse was being developed um and i guess at this point they already revealed oscar isaac's design as apocalypse which uh and they're like oh we don't want to you too close to that kind of design or aesthetic so they went for a more female version and i like i really i really not i mean uh there's gonna be a lot of thorns 
I will give you that. But and I think Ryan and I were in agreement that we liked her design. Her design was pretty cool. Um, I mean, it had like it had um, nods to Emotep, like the one, or I guess a couple of scenes where like half her cheek is missing. Um, and that's a that's. And the way she sort of regenerates her skin, the being mummied, mummified alive was was taken from Emotep's backstory. There were certain things that they did where I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. I didn't hate, um, you know, the sort of tattooing that she had on her body that then was incorporated with... Um, I'll call them like possession ink because that's kind of what it was that that sort of comes out all over her body after she does her little ritual thing, which we'll get into. Um, I, I, you know what? I, I didn't even hate like the eye splitting. I thought all of it was actually a, a, a cool concept. I liked her. They just butchered the universe that they put her in and I feel really bad for her. Cause I, cause she didn't wreck. And that's movie. the thing, like, like you know, Amanet as a character, I don't really like. But that's not the fault of Sophia. It's just how Amanet was just written, and how, and like the, like the weird, the super weird, inconsistent, logical decisions that you know the world builders and the directors, you know, built for her. Yeah. I, I think I think I texted you something at one point and I was like, okay, this was super unclear. Like I got confused. So many things. I mean, so let's go let's go to the point where like why why is 90% of the story in London? You know, it's only the literally little the bookends. They no, actually not even. No, no, like like the only time the only time we're in Egypt is the prologue. And the end of the movie, because like the 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 tomb is in Mesopotamia or modern day Afghanistan, Iraq. and then uh, yeah, or Iraq, yeah, Iraq. Sorry, and then and then it's moved the rest of it into London, and so I was really confused by Russell Crowe's um, uh, like exposition about the crusade, the Holy Crusaders, you know, pillaging Antiquities. Um, in Egypt, and then they they made it so oh it's actually like a secret order, uh, with a really stupid name. What's it called? Uh, the the pro Prodigium. It's basically like a really shoddy knockoff of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, that or a BPRD from Mike Mignola's Hellboy, or even um the the Helsing organization from. From Helsing, the the manga and anime, but I just I was like, why 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 do I care about London? I want I I mean we're talking about mummies. You should be romping around in like the Middle East, you know, like you know in the Middle East, like you know, fighting and exploring caves and and, and tunnels and crypts and and underneath ancient pyramids and it's like and I yeah. I just did not know what they were going for. I mean, there's literally only one mummy, and that's Amanet. The rest of the antagonists, they're all reanimated undead versions of either the people that Amanet consumed, because um, she and she also has necromancy, so like she can command like anyone she's recently like absorbed. Absorb their life force on, and, Which and then she summons all the crusaders. Cool. She summons all the crusaders as as like I. Th this is stupid. Where where are my mummies? Where are my mummies? I I did I did like the fact that she had necromancer capabilities, but she also could have used it to you know resurrect like real mummies. So. I, I like I like that she they just they they wrote her so poorly and world aside like she suffered tremendously for it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, as a character or as a character's design, I enjoyed it. Character moment, character motive is 
character motivation, I'm on the fence about. Maybe you can can convince me one way or the other. I didn't really like like the Faustian deal kind of bargain. Oh, I, I hated it. Like I, hated I don't, it. I don't think I don't. I mean, okay. I guess maybe thinking about it now, she was betrothed. She was destined to be the queen, like a living god. And then her husband, her husband or her father hooked up with, I guess, one of his consorts. Uh, And then he got a male heir. uh, And then the male heir was destined to become the next pharaoh. And then she snapped. You know, you know what? The patriarchy broke Amonet. It's okay. You know what? I can can see that now. I mean, I, I get it, but it just... It's one of those things, and I understand that sort of like falling in line with the belief system of e- of ancient Egypt probably wouldn't have made a good movie, but like that's not what they believe. There is no like satanic pact with a demon god. That's the god of the dead. Well, well, she technically didn't make a pact with the god of the dead for one. Well, exactly, but that's what. So that that was going to be my next point. So that sentence that just came out of my mouth. If you are listening to this, going, man, she sounds fucking stupid. That's exactly what they laid out in the movie. They did this thing where they called the incorrect god of the dead the god of the dead, but also a demon. It's it's just none of it worked. It was also stupid. It was, it was very, it's like a West, very westernized version of Egyptian culture. It was like, oh my God, what we, what can we, what can we pull from? Um, oh, you know what? Like maybe Roseberry's baby or something like, yeah. So like it's, they, they took like classic Faustian lore and just smacked it right top of the God of Set, which they er er erroneously call the God of Death, but no, Set's the God of War, Chaos and Storms. And they were like, oh, yeah, Amanat, yeah, make make a dark bargain with me for power, and I'll grant you necromantic powers and the power over the beasts and the swarms, and uh, all you got to do is stab your lover with his dagger, and then I, as Set, be- will become a living god. I'll be a god in the mortal's body. I can walk the plains and you know, do stuff. I was like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> And also, what didn't make sense about that was that they was that Russell Crowe's whole monologue in the beginning is he says that even before her bargain with Set said that she was going to be a living god amongst people because of the throne she was going to take. So which is it? Do you become a living god by becoming Pharaoh, or do you become a living god by making a pact with? A god. I think it's just. I mean, this is our, our, our common theme we're gonna be seeing. I don't think they just didn't think it through. They they had a common idea. The yeah, it's very inconsistent. It's just poorly thought out, and it's so poorly thought out. They had common ideas and 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 phrases and words that they repeated constantly and didn't acknowledge the plot they were trying to build behind it so like at the beginning of the movie there's an egyptian prayer of resurrection which isn't a real thing it's purely made up for this movie rewriting and it history says, mm-hmm. yep death is but the doorway to new life we may live today we shall live again in many forms shall we return oh i, I i'm and sorry then- i'm sorry it's death is only the beginning quote unquote emotep that's 99 have some respect alex kirksman <laughs> Right, exactly. But then on top of all of that, Russell Crowe says something along the same lines at the end of his monologue. He says, but death is a doorway and the past cannot remain buried forever. So, Uh. basically, they're borrowing on the Egyptian belief of, like, not resurrection, but reincarnation. And their whole... Which, okay, take that as a as as just a basic plot, and you can really try to work with something there. Their whole belief of like reincarnation and their concept of eternal life was seen as being reborn indefinitely. So if your soul had like 
lived elegantly in life, Osiris would guide you to be born again. Yeah, and then we, I mean, the mummy, the mummy, and the mummy returns, you know, glimpse or uh, touches on that because Anox and Moon does get reincarnated and like like Imhotep's entire plan in that movie is like I mean I will yeah it's like I will resurrect the spirit the true spirit of my love into your body and we'll be together again it's like and it's like again um I think and I think you know I know we 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 said we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't you said I know that. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah but I you know it's I, it's just night and day because at least with the 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 previous '90s mummy films, you know, there is a key emotional arc, you know, of you know underneath. Yes, it's still a swashbuckling adventure. There's some some light horror, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like um, you know a love story. It's, it's like a and I think it's really and it's a love story that sells it really well, but not overtly or not like clumsily um, here. It's, it's all, it's very cynical, very nihilistic, and it's meant to be so incredibly edgy because it has to be the dark universe and we can't have fun anymore. Uh, so we got, so like Universal's taking all the bad lessons of like, you know, of like Chris, uh, Christopher Nolan post Batman Begins where everything has to be dark and gritty. We, I mean, you know, you know, exception aside, aside, like Disney, Disney and Marvel, they 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 still know how to have fun. You know, that people can still crack jokes, and it's still something can still be lighthearted, um, but still 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 deal with heady themes. You know, case in point, if you want to look at like uh, you know the the first Captain America movie, which were the same creative team and directors that, that did that brought you the rocketeer and the rocketeer and the mummy they both had that really pulpy swashbuckling fun charismatic funny but you know there's there's it's still serious at times it's still scary at times feel but it works and like the dark universe is trying too hard to be gritty and and and, and edgy and it's just so messy but uh, you know they can't have it both ways because the dark again, the first twelve minutes, terrible. And like this, the the second mortal sin, um, that I found in this twelve minutes of doom, you know, um, is, um, we get past the prologue, and then we get we we get into Iraq, um, where um, Tom Cruise plays Nick, and then his spunky sidekick. Chris Vale, played by Jake Johnson. Um, they are deep re- recon, I guess, for the army, um, but they use it as an excuse to go treasure hunting. Um, so it's a weird mix of like the mummy and a really shitty version of National Treasure uh, or Indiana Jones. Um, and I hated it because the, the, like the first 15 minutes, like, it's trying. It's trying too hard to be epic, edgy, but at the same time, trying to capture like the charming, funny, and campy nature of the of the OG films. Because like one, like they're, um, like it starts off with a firefight in Iraq, and they're trying to make. I felt really uncomfortable and like really weird watching it. Like they're trying to make a lighthearted joke out of the Iraq war, you know, sub- and like, and like, uh, and like, you know, Middle Eastern insurgency, you know, which is a serious problem, you know, for our modern time. And, and they're trying to make jokes like, you know, Chris Vale tries to play the Conway Leafs shouting at t- Tom Cruise every two seconds. I blame this on you. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Oh God. Oh God. And they're trying to commit it. And like, and it's like the, this, the most cringeworthy attempts at humor, which is just them yelling at each other, trying to be funny. It doesn't, it lands flat. And it's like, and it's like, is this, is this what they thought that what makes the, the mummy great? And like, it, it's so tone deaf. Cause like they're trying to crack 
swashbuckly jokes in the middle of like a firefight that's straight out of the Transformers movie because like or like a Michael Bay movie. I was watching the scenes like why does this seem so much like a Michael Bay film? Like this this these two things don't mix and I found out later um Alex Kirksman and one other guy on the team um Oh jeez, I think he might have he might have he might have been like a cinematographer. But there's two people on the Mummy team who worked previously on like the first two Transformer movies, which makes perfect sense. Like and it's like you can't mix and match like that. Ugh, I hated it. Sorry, I, that was that was just the first twelve minutes. Like they're just they, they don't they don't have a tone. They can't decide what to do, and it just incredible the entire film incredibly sloppy. I hated it. It absolutely is. So here's, and here's my other, here's my thing. So the one thing where I disagree with you is I enjoy, um, what's the little, I keep calling him a psychic. What's uh, Vale's Chris name? Vale, I hated him so much because like I thought he brought nothing. I thought, I thought I he was just yelling him. and I, he wasn't, I was thinking, I, to me, he would seem like a more macho version of Riley, like Nick Cage's psychic and National Treasure. Tried to provide comedic relief. I hated him. I thought he, he just yelled in an annoying way. I didn't like him at all. I didn't think he brought anything to the table. Even the ghost scenes, which you liked, I hated him. I hated that. I did. So, so, the, so part of my reason why I liked him in those scenes is because it it gave me. American Werewolf in London vibes. And I have always loved what they did with uh, David's friend in the in the film. What as the movie progresses, you see him in various states of decomp. And even though they didn't do exactly that, he is dead. Well, well, mostly dead. I mean, he comes. He comes back. Mostly dead. He comes back. He, well, he's dead. He no. He he is dead for this movie. He does come at the end of the movie, which that's another thing. But he's also cursed. I think I I felt like he, he couldn't thing. pass on. Yeah. Was that was all of that supposed to be like instead of having the book of the dead and the book of the living and like I. Uh, Chris, there was so much about this movie that was so well, bad. Well, to me, like it, like her power set, her power set is so weird and consistent to me. Like she could, she could control and summon spiders. I mean, she could, she could, she controlled all the ravens. She called, she controlled all the spiders. That's how she infected Vale on the plane to like kill people and start crap. Oh, well, well, she killed the sergeant, and she started trying to kill someone through Vale. And then she summoned a swarm of ravens to crash into the plane, so the plane would like crash land. Oh, miraculously crash land exactly in the site uh, that she needed to, to drop it on in order to find the statue, which hold the hidden dagger of Set, which is a you know a stupid MacGuffin. I dislike so much of this. What do you dislike most? Because I. I mean, besides Chris Vale, the other thing I hated so much was Russell Crowe's secret reveal. But that's just me. Okay, so let's okay, so let's let's get into this. Let's get so for okay, so so let let's okay. 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 I really thought that they were gonna be like the one during all of this. Chris, I'm angry. I'm angry. <laughs> so Russell Crowe. First of all, come at me. I think Russell Crowe peaked at Gladiator and should have stopped. <laughs> like, I, I don't, maybe, like, maybe Gladiator isn't as great as I remember, but I remember being, like, blown away by Gladiator. Oh, no, Gladiator's a great film. It's a, it's a, it is objectively good. Like, between Russell Crowe and Are You Not, like, Are You Not Entertained? Like, come on! But okay, so I think he peaked at Gladiator. I'm just I'm over Russell Crowe, and then watching him come back and butcher Les Mis, like just please stop. But he's in this for better or for worse. 
the answer is for worse. And his big reveal is that he's actually Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, they were going to set that up. It's going to be, oh. Not only that, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde is the Nick Fury of this Prodigium anti-monster group. And it was, my God, there was no grace, no subtlety. It was literally, again, they put the Dark Universe title card, not even like, not even like during the opening credits. No, this is like, you know, the right after the Universal logo. So they were betting really, really hard uh, for this Dark Universe movie to pay off. And, you know, they just stuck in the middle. And it's like, uh, okay, uh, you're, thanks for your second act reveal. This makes zero sense. Um, your character, your character is trying so hard to be cryptic and enigmatic, and, and it just, just, it just looks and sounds bad. Um, also, I don't understand your character motivation, like, um um or your 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 quote unquote plot uh your plot this is literally Russell Crowe's slash Mr. Jekyll's Mr. Hyde's entire plan. Um um yes, we're concerned that the mummy was resurrected, but we're gonna play this in our hands. We we want the mummy to get the dagger and the uh, and this and the crystal. We want her to stab um Nick. So she brings upon Set in a mortal body because if Set's in a mortal body, then he could be killed. But that's stupid because why would Set be destroyed if his mortal mortal body would be like destroyed? He's still God. I'm sure. I'm sure Set wouldn't be like exercised or you know banished. He would probably just go back to whatever cosmic plane he came back. And it's like this is so stupid. <laughs> that that was part of that was part of her storyline that I didn't understand. She. I can understand her wanting to get revenge on humanity. She was ruthless. She was bloodthirsty as a princess. I get it. That's fine. What the fuck was was her lover's whole motivation for wanting to get revenge on humanity? Because she was upset? That's not very... I mean, I guess that's romantic. I don't... I don't think the the lover had a lot of... So why would he want to be reborn as set? I don't think she had any agency, or the, the lover didn't have any agency. She just she just chose him. Like, you're my chosen. You're going to make love to me. We're going to make, and then you're going to be the vessel. I'm, uh, I'm going to impregnate you with a demon, staff. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't fighting it either. He was totally chill with it. So I was just like, like, again, so this is what you were saying about Anaxonamon and Imhotep. Like, their storyline made sense because to them it was, whatever they were doing was so they could be together. If this universe that they're trying to build make made sense putting a scientist like dr jekyll as a head of an agency that sort of it was a little bit more evil because it had to be the dark universe chris is right it had to be edgy so they were like obliterating monsters instead of like understanding them but as a man of science like i can understand his motivation for wanting to start something like that that I can sort of go with that. I can sort of like wrap my head around and like make it make sense, right? Russell Crowe did not did not make sense being in this movie. Russell Crowe as Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, as the head honcho of this organization that, that's capable of like taking out vampires and gill people, uh, like Cthulhu monsters. Was that supposed to be Baby Cthulhu or the giant, like, underwater colossal squid? I'm sure it's either a kraken or, a, or like, an elder god. You know, kind of the same thing when you think about it, but... Right? Like, I just thought he was doing all of this to be, like, edgy. It, well, they, 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 they succeeded being edgy. Um, and, and to me, like, like the, the, the administrative... And psychological temperament of Muster Crow's Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde makes me think, like, 
He's clearly not the the brains of this operation. He has to be a figurehead. There has to be someone smarter than him. And I say this because he is a scientist and a self-proclaimed, you know, genius and you know, architect of this grand world hopping, resource heavy, paramilitary anti-monster group. And he can't even bother to make the proper precautions to take his serum like on time i hated those scenes like like i i get it they're trying to build dramatic tension he pulls out a mysterious case with this with this mysterious four-pronged oversized EpiPen, and he has to like manually load four vials into the EpiPen and like stab himself he's a scientist he should have a a button on his desk which he does have a button a button that puts the room on lockdown he should have a separate button that he presses, and then on the wall behind him, like, a wall of pre-loaded syringes are already there, so you can just stab him, uh, you know, with no problem at all. He should have a watch, an alarm, that should say, hey, it's been eight hours, four hours, 12 hours since your last shot. Ding, 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 time to juice up. But no, for dramatic, st- stupid, dramatic effect, he gets all hot and bothered, and then he's his black veins are start to flare up, and he and and like his his hands starts to become freakishly large because he wears a black glove, and he's like he's he's struggling. He's like, oh, I'm evil monologue. Oh, cryptic monologue. Oh, blah, blah. oh, wait, watch me fumble my my epipen. Oh no, I'm turning the job, Mr. Hyde, and it's like I, I was like, oh my god, you cannot be the head of this organization. The only thing about Mr. Hyde I liked was his accent. That's it. Yeah. I didn't care for it at all. I just hated him. And I... The the the, the whole Mr. Hyde B-plot where he starts beating up Nick and then he's like... It's like a Darth Vader moment. It's like, ah, yes! Uh, Nick, you'll... Yeah, you should... You should, uh... Except set into your life, we could be both evil, and it'll be great. You'll, we'll have so much fun. It's like, oh my god, just make this stop. Just shut up and die already. Yeah, I wish, I wish yeah. Russell Crowe, Hyde, Jekyll died in the film. Yeah, I, I was not a fan of of that choice. Um, like I said, I think that having Doctor Jekyll start something like that again, purely as a man of science, that to me can make sense. Uh, I can wrap my head around it. I can't wrap my head around anything else that they really did with this movie. I mean, I I think you and I came up with a pretty decent alternative cast. I mean, anyone anyone but Tom Cruise. Because I, I was explaining, like, Tom, Tom Cruise to me here... He was so miscast. Yeah, so cringy, so awkward, way too old. Like, I know, I understand, like, Tom Cruise... Um... You know, he's a very talented actor and like he he loves doing especially action films. And yes, he's very talented. I love Mission Impossible. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, like he's very talented. I think he has a you know, I think he has an interesting, unique way of looking at things. Um, I love the fact that he does all of his own stunts. Like he did he did a lot of his own stunts here, including that the crazy zero gravity plane scene you know and i could see i could see years of filmmaking experience because like, i know in particular for this film he got really 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 hands-on with uh the cinematography production script and like obviously the stunt work stuff so he he really wanted his hands in every single pie and i know a lot of the other act uh uh, a lot of the other cast were like really excited, and they they specifically signed on to this project just to work with Tom Cruise because you know it's, it's freaking Tom Cruise, uh, you know like Jake Johnson who played Chris Vale and Sophia and uh, you know Sophia felt super intimidated uh, and, and in awe and like I th- Tom Cruise kind of became a sort of uh, she became she kind of became like a protege. Like, she learned a lot about film industry from Tom Cruise on this film. That being said, his character just seemed way too old and creepy. And, like, he didn't... I could not... Tom Cruise here could not sell me 
successfully of him being like this young, roguish, selfish, Han Solo, Rick O'Connell guy who you think he might be a scumbag, but he's actually like a heart of gold type of person. It just was not convincing at all. No, I I completely agree. I, I don't I don't buy it at all. He was arguably the whole movie was bad, but he was arguably one of the worst parts. Yeah, it's just like it, it's uh, he just did not have that charisma. Like he wasn't charming. Like I don't know if he wrote his own dialogue, but like or the 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 dialogue. I don't the the the. the oh my! I groaned so much where it it happened twice where the. The leading lady, besides besides the mummy, uh, Jennifer, Jenny, Jenny or Jennifer, yeah, Annabelle Wallace, where the, this happened. I don't know why they thought it was smart enough to make this comedic beat be in two different parts of the movie, where like, where one the the hard ass sergeant was asking Tom Cruise um, and Jenny first arrive. And they're in the, is the they're low super low hanging fruit like oh yeah like uh uh the Nick over here um distracted me in a night of passion for fifteen seconds and then and then later in the plane and then like Nick gets all all insecure is like fifteen seconds that that wasn't I mean that wasn't how I remembered it blah 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 and like and it's like oh my god that that is the worst joke. Of all time. Yeah, that was a cringe, total cringe moment. Yeah. And it's like, is am I supposed to be rooting for Nick here? Like, am I supposed to be, am I supposed to be laughing? Like, what is this? Yeah, and especially like the age. Like, Tom Cruise looks like 60 here, and like, Jenny looks like, like, mid-20s, maybe, maybe, maybe like early 30s at the most, so. Yeah, it, it there was a lot of this movie that just didn't work. And I can understand why it was a total flop. And I feel badly for the actress that played the mummy because I don't see this movie as like a reflection of her or her work or uh, her value as an actress. Like, I don't I don't I don't think that I, I think. The only way that this truly like reflects poorly on her is the way they wrote her and the way they. You know, and the the choices that were made almost like for her, you know? Yeah, I think she tried to work the best for what she got. What she got was shit. Total shit. She absolutely got the shit out of the stick. I I don't think they're going to redo this movie. I, they sh- If they did, I would hope that they would let her possibly contribute. Um, it's one of the things that I've heard about the Invisible Man that has me hesitant but also excited. For those of you that don't know, Lee Winnell actually did the Invisible Man from 2020, and I love Lee Winnell. But he went to Elizabeth Moss, who is the main char- the main actress, and basically was like. I want this to be as genuine as possible. You're uh, like, I, he basically was like, I'm a man. I don't presume to understand how to write a woman's perspective. What would you do? And like, she, I, so I, I hope he gave her a writing credit or at least a partial writing credit for, for the invisible man for that. But like, yeah, that's the shit that I'm talking about. Like why there was, there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough lady. Ladies, in a movie about a female mummy, there wasn't nearly enough women in this movie. And, and uh, you know, I didn't really get a good sense of Amanet's motivation. Like, okay, sure, yes. Um, you got screwed out of... Screwed out of power. Well, not just power, it was her birthright. Yeah, her birth, like, because of society or weird patriarchal stuff, the culture of like, like the the uh, Egyptian monarchy, whatever, whatever. Um, I do I think that 
it justified her like you know do i think it justified damning the entire world becoming a living curse no um like i don't under really understood what was her end game like um you know she made this dark pact um and you know set gave her the power to control the dead and i mean if it's if it was only like a if this was just like a familial spat like she could have killed <laughs> she could have killed like her her father and, and like the child like without making a, a pact with a dark god that doesn't um, exist yeah which doesn't exist yeah so it's like i was like what what are what is she getting out of all this you know like Seth's just getting the better end of the deals like ah uh, yeah uh sure i'll give you some necromancy powers so you could do what you want but uh yeah you're i'm, I'm gonna be walking the earth now like i'm gonna it seems to me like set was getting the better deal and i don't i honestly don't didn't know what Aminette would do after set got fully released like did they say like that set and her would rule the entire world together yes that was so that was at the beginning of the movie that was again this is another reason why i wasted more of my life on this movie um essentially so this is this is what was supposed to happen after she made a pact uh, a pack that would unleash darkness itself. Aminette was reborn a monster. Again, monster. That word gets thrown around a lot in because this movie. Because it takes a monster um, to fight a monster. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah, I know. Blah, blah, blah. Yet the pack was not complete. She vowed to bring the demon. Again, demon. Like, he's not a demon. He's not even... I can't. Uh, she vowed to bring the demon into our world in the body of a mortal man. Together, they would take their vengeance upon humanity. Why is Set angry at humanity? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> as far as I understood it, these gods were still being revered. Is Set just bored? It's just he's just like a bored sadist. Like, um, I'm bored today. I'm just gonna kill all of humanity just because well, I want to. So okay, so here's the thing: is if they had kept Set as the god of what Set was the god of, which is war, chaos, and storms, then yes. That motivation would make sense because it's chaos for the sake of chaos. I can roll with that. But they changed who he was and made him the god of the dead. So what? Like, why would he do that? Because we got to make this franchise edgy as hell. Okay, but if you're going to make it edgy, then the most simplistic and useless explanation is that the god of chaos is bored and wants to see chaos rain down on humanity. Cool. It's boring and stupid and simple, but I can you know get what behind be, it. You know, okay. We already fi I can fix, we fixed I can the cast fix this. this movie. Go ahead and fix so, the uh, plot uh, for me, Chris. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so um, Aminette, Aminette, for whatever reason, like she, maybe she was groomed all of her life to be uh, the next princess, the next pharaoh. She was always told that and treated as if she was a living god, that she was destined for greatness. So she, everyone's been propping up, propping her up on this pedestal, and like, uh, and then, uh, then all of a sudden. You know, dad gets a new girlfriend, a new stepmom who's like the same age or maybe even younger than Aminette. And yeah, he, they, they pop out a male, male heir. Um, and then um, this, uh, this kid, this kid like gets, I don't know, maybe he grows up. Uh, and um, let's, let's, let's spin the tragedy a little bit. Like, so uh, Aminette uh, is named like, the Egyptian version of like the godmother of of this child, uh, and and this child is full of innocence. Like this child is legitimately a a good kid, but like something gnaws at her, something breaks. Like she's torn that you know, like whether from ego or hubris or or, or maybe maybe you want to throw in some mystical supernatural stuff, but like. So this encroaching darkness in with her, she starts to be of two minds. Um, she she simultaneously both loves and hates her father and this kid uh, for doing what 
for taking away her birthright or just, you know, dashing away our hopes, broken dreams, broken promises. Um, and then Set, being the god of chaos, being, being like the god of, of storms and war and chaos, sees an opportunity. It's like, you, 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 see, you see her uh, Amonette, like, trying to fulfill the good her role as like the good daughter the or the dutiful daughter or like the good quote-unquote sibling um but says like starts doing like dark whispers like no no you this you were hurt you were wrong this is this is your birthright you should take it back your power power has to be taken like they were saying in, in the actual monologue in the movie and then 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 Aminette, like she's um maybe maybe something happens where she's going through uh, some really intense morcondry and one small push and she's she makes the wrong choice and she does make this deal with set um and um she exacts revenge uh and so like she and she ends up massacring like the holy family uh she and um uh she raises an army of set and then or, or or maybe like set uh promises if you do this for me make me more make me have like a mortal body you and i will will uh we we were both wrongs you're like you see i know how, what it feels like to be betrayed and like and then you know obviously like being you know totally manipulative um or it's like and we will Spread our war, spread our anger, spread our rage and chaos, and all of Egypt and all the world will know our rage, and we will reign on top. And then I don't know, set raises like an army, and then before before all this could happen, like the the emperors or the the pharaoh's royal guards, the magi, the holy people, whoever, whoever, the even even like the pre predecessors of the the Pergeum, they, they they make a stop to it and they bury her. Bam. Bam! First of all, you have like a cool, you have a cool, um, like narrative arc, which to me makes more sense. It gives more depth to Amonet. If you want to bring back borrowed tropes from the previous movie, may maybe maybe uh, you find out that maybe not the Nick character, maybe it's the psychic character. The psychic character is like a reincarnated version of her little sibling, and. And and so that she has the the mummy has some moral quandary like what should I do should I uh, should I serve Set or should I serve my little bro <laughs> and it's like and like it, 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 I think that'd be cool anyway that's my that's my pitch for the the backstory of the the mummy the mummy twenty twenty five I'll take it or or. Maybe we shouldn't remake everything. Uh, yeah. Well, you know that I'm I'm behind all of that. Not everything needs a remake. People are so afraid of originality that they do what they think will make them money. And, like, if they had remade this right, it could have really worked. But so far, we're how many movies into this supposed dark universe? And they're all flops. People often... Or maybe not often, but I mean, let's say maybe some, maybe because people are misinformed, or maybe they're not sure of the backstory. I know the title "I Frankenstein" gets thrown in a lot, but "I Frankenstein" is not tied to the Dark Universe. It's a completely different thing. It's 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 based on a it's based on a graphic novel. So, um, yeah, that's that's, and I gotta tell you, like, despite the fact that the Invisible Man, I heard amazing things about it i'm still really nervous for us to oh yeah in case that wasn't clear to anybody we've just like completely changed course and we're just tackling what's out there in terms of the dark universe for the next couple of episodes so yeah and then yeah so we're, we're gonna be doing the invisible banana we're gonna be doing the 2020 invisible man um i mean and I'm nervous. I mean, I know. I mean, I know that supposedly Lee Winnell did right by Elizabeth Moss, and like, as for her input, which I think is amazing, I think that more directors and writers should be unafraid to do that. Um, but I am nervous because so far we're two for two, and it's they suck. I mean, I've heard 
I've heard pretty good things overall about The Invisible Man. And again, despite I mean, I've heard people like didn't like it because it wasn't their cup of tea, but like that's different. Yeah, well, I mean, like objective, or maybe not objectively, but like I guess you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I, I guess it's so easy to like praise this film with the utter trash we've been getting with like you know the Mummy. Uh, anything's a step up from the Mummy. Everything is a step up from the mummy. Even thanks killing is a step up from the mummy. There was no part of this that was good. We 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 touched upon like certain things that we enjoyed, like the CGI, some of the some of the costume designs. Although the mummy was pretty cool. Yeah, the CGI definitely got better. Um, I think that it was cool that it was a lady mummy. I think that her whole uh. Design was fantastic, but other than that, like, can you name something that was particularly pleasing to you about this film? No, no. Uh, honestly, like, e- even you know, we talk a lot about practical effects. Practical effects couldn't save this movie. I, you know, honestly, I thought the 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 zero gravity stunt was really drawn out and like boring. Like there's there's like a there's like a two minute shot where the the plane is spinning around and the shot was just nothing but Tom Cruise and Jenny just flying around in the circle fighting over a parachute. It's like it was like a, it was like a really long cut. Maybe that's written into Tom Cruise's contract. Maybe one ridiculous stunt per movie that he has to do. I mean, I believe it. Like, like Mission Impossible. Every like in Mission Impossible, he's like, like he's doing more and more insane stunts. And then for Top Gun Two, Top Gun Two, he's pl- he's he's actually flying a, a fighter jet. And you know what? I think it's great when actors want to do their own stunts like that. Um, I actually think that that's kind of marvelous, and it's kind of awesome that he wants to do it. But Tom Cruise, you don't. Yeah. So, I don't know if, like, for me, this film felt felt like a midlife crisis movie for Tom Cruise. For Tom Cruise, for Russell Crowe. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or for, like, but Tom Cruise, like, obviously he's trying to do, he's trying to outdo himself with more crazy, over-the-top stunts. Um, so I don't yeah, and then so there's that. Two, he's playing a youthful, roguish character that's way, way below like his age. Like, yeah, you could do so much with like CGI and like VFX and practical effects, but like Tom Cruise does not look the part of like like that Rick O'Connell, uh, young Harrison Ford, Han Solo. Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't try to use any like sort of aging technology on him and make him look younger yeah um yeah he just does not he's not looks convincing also like the 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 actresses are like 30 years younger than him it looks like at least least, maybe maybe not in actuality in terms of actual age but like in the film though like he looks like he's look like he's pushing 50 at least and like the the ladies look like you know, oh well, I mean Sophia, Sophia, I mean, she looks like eternally beautiful. She she looks like not a not a day over twenty, and then and then Jenny looks like mid twenties, early thirties at the most. It's like this, and like so so he's having a relationship with one, and the other one is chasing him, and it has like this super sexually tension type of relationship or like you're my chosen and you know um she straddles him while starting to stab him and like the sexual imagery is there it's like this this is this is weird and then tom cruise also having his hands at everything in production like writing production uh cinematography stunts like he had a lot of the script rewritten or like with his input it's like okay if that's what it means to have him involved in a project, then just say no. Because I, it was so detrimental. Like, I would be curious to see what the original script looked like. Like, if it was any better. Maybe this is an improvement. I doubt it. But what if it, this is the improvement? You know what I mean? Who knows? I mean, but, like, Tom Cruise had 
intensive amount of control and and and, and influence on the project, including like rewriting parts of the script. I, I give this movie one out of one sarcophagi. Like it was so bad. I will give it. Half I'll give it a half, a half, like a uh, half a half, half a Crusader Knight out of five is bad. Which we didn't even get into how much that didn't make sense, but I'm not, I don't, I know it, it was no. stupid, stupid. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I, this movie is so exhausting. <laughs> this movie is exhausting. I, I'm so nervous for next week when we do The Invisible Man, but I'm also kind of excited. So let's see how that goes. Hopefully it'll be better. On that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left for Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook. And you can check us out on our website at leftfordred.com. And don't forget, kids, death is but the doorway to new life. Stop we it. We live today. Stop we it. shall live Stop again it. in many forms. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, forget all that. I fucking hate Wait, you. <laughs> don't forget. Stay dreadful. <laughs> so bad. <laughs>